Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this week's episode of The Indispensables, Bruce speaks with Mike Smith, a producer and member of Lockton Companies in the Northeast. He is also a fellow Pittsfield native, and he and Bruce discussed the great rethink and what companies can do to show they generally care about hiring and retaining the best people. Welcome to The Indispensables. Today I have Mike Smith. He's a producer and a member of the Northeast series of locked-in companies. In short, that means he brings in the money for this uh, mega insurance company. Uh, I have to say, uh, as it happens, I've, I've known Mike since I was about 12, but he's a heck of a guy, or I should say, and he's a heck of a guy. Uh, he's got a, a tremendous uh, attitude and a tremendous way with people. Uh, Mike Smith, welcome to The Indispensables. Thank you, Bruce. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and to, uh, and to sit with you again. I was thinking about uh, our reconnecting after all these years, and, and I don't really believe in coincidences anymore. I think there's something else afoot. You know, I was surfing Facebook, and we, we connected back through Facebook because we have this shared experience of growing up together in Pittsfield, Mass. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. Pittsfield, Massachusetts, the center of the universe. Yes, I've heard that. I've heard that. Even people here in Boston called the hub of the universe defer to Pittsfield as the center of the universe. So. Yeah, I mean, it's Mecca. You call it whatever you want, you know. And by the way, like not to like sh- uh, draw a bright line under Facebook, but whatever bad you can say about Facebook, the thing that's cool about Facebook is here we are. Yeah. You know, I was and I was putting together this program for some folks up in Boston. And I was like, you know, let's look at Bruce, what he does for a living. You know, I, I see him, you know, touring around the country with his wife, who's a fabulous author. And, and lo and behold, he's a great speaker. And you know, it was a, the perfect topic for this group. So it's great to be here with you today, Bruce. Thanks again. Well, it, it has been an honor and a privilege working for you and working with you. And uh, it's just wonderful to be back in touch. So uh, what I always uh, like to start these interviews by by asking, like, you know, how did you get to where you are? Uh, I know um, since 2013, you've been with Lockton, uh, but you have um, you have a whole career. I mean, you're, we're, we're about the same age. So uh, you started working before 2013. I know that much. I did. I did. So uh, I, I was taught in the Pittsfield Public Schools, started at the beginning. So little known fact, I was either the last or certainly one of the last babies born at St. Luke's Hospital in Pittsfield in February of 1966. And so that's where my journey began. I uh, had a, a great loving family, did all the things kid did, did in the 60s, 70s and 80s, a lot of sports, outside play school. But, you know, my father uh, worked for General Electric and GE dominated Pittsfield back back in that time period. But he never went to college. He couldn't financially. He was a child of the Depression and there just wasn't enough money to send Bob to, to school. 
So he was an engineer, what they used to call a methods man. He worked for General Electric. And so he felt that obstacle in his life in a number of different ways because he didn't have the sheepskin. So education was really important to us and our family. And by hook and by crook and a lot of hard work, and it's certainly a lot of good luck, um, you know, I was able to get into a good school growing up, played sports, wasn't particularly good at them, but I enjoyed them. You know, golf was a big part of my life. I caddied at the Country Club of Pittsfield, worked hard there. As a matter of fact, I, I walked into college with a year's tuition in the bank. And uh, I thought that was awesome. You know, my, my passbook at, at uh, City Savings Bank in Pittsfield, you know, had uh, had a comma in it. And uh, all of a sudden, it, it was down to zero by the end of uh, the spring of 1985. <laughs> City Savings Bank and a Book. Like, so for those who are a little younger than us, I think we should take this apart a little bit because what you're giving here is a wonderful account of a Gen X childhood, right? In, in, in a, a medium-sized city in, in Western Massachusetts that was dominated by a tremendous global company, GE, where th there was this factory where 12,000 people uh, worked and so 12,000 families thrived in the community because of that. And and the passbook was, it was a bank book. It, it, it had little like like typed numbers on it and stuff. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd put money in or take money out and they'd put the passbook. It was like a, it was like a passport type size and they'd run it in their little, you know, IBM mainframe computer system and it would say, all right, Mike deposited $25 or Mike withdrew $5 and it gave you the balance. So, um, you know, not too many people are running around saying, I got to get to the bank to cash my paycheck so I have some money for the weekend. But that's how our parents lived. You know, the banks closed early. There were no ATMs. Uh, if you didn't get cash out by the time the bank closed, you, you better, you know, go to your family members or hit the piggy bank because you, know, you, you, you didn't have any, any walking around money. It's important, I think, uh, to, to flesh this out because I think the other thing that's kind of interesting is you say here your dad didn't have the sheepskin, but obviously uh, if he was a, a methods guy at GE, if he was an engineer at GE, that means he learned how to be an engineer by working. Uh, and GE was, uh, especially back in those days, was a classic pay your dues, climb the ladder uh, kind of career path. I don't know if your dad's one of them, but there were a lot of folks who, you know, they had those jobs at GE. And then later on, people would be like, well, they seem like they're kind of rich. And it'd be like, well, yeah, because he worked at GE. And Jack Welch took over and the stock went through the roof, right? So that was when the old-fashioned career path really worked, right? It did. And, and so education was really important in our family because in the old corporate structure at GE, because he didn't have the degree, he could only go so high. And so he would talk about training folks that would come in and work for GE. And he knew much more than they did. And he would train them and then they'd be peers. And then they'd end up, you know, being his supervisors and managers. You know, there was a resentment there. But I think he turned that resentment into some positive energy by putting that drive and that focus in his kids that you're going to go to you're going to go to college. So there were five of us in the in the family. Three of us went to Dartmouth. Two of us went to UMass. And all of us have uh, uh, some sort of advanced degrees beyond that. So thank you, Bob. Thank you, Eileen, for uh, for you know focusing that on us early on and often in our in our career. And Pittsfield at the time, you know, GE had that, those employees, but all the other businesses and communities. I mean, the public education system in Pittsfield was top 
notch. Uh, my class at, at Pittsfield High School sent one person to every Ivy League school during my, my class in 1984. That's pretty remarkable, I think, for a public school system in a, in a smaller city in Massachusetts. Absolutely. And, and you were one year ahead of me in high school. Uh, I graduated in the class of 85, right? And, and by the way, just for those who are listening, nowadays there is a University of Massachusetts at, in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, but you're talking about Dartmouth. The- yeah, I'm talking about uh, Hanover, New Hampshire, you know, the big green. So that's part of my story as well. So how did I get there? So I went to went to college. It was a great experience. Uh, played rugby. Was in a fraternity. Became president of that fraternity. Uh, I did graduate. I do have the sheepskin. There are some that have met along the way that that have wanted me to prove that out. But uh, did that, and uh, they had a great corporate recruiting program. Uh, I was able to get a job with the Prudential and became a group underwriter, and then a a group salesperson, and I've been in and around the, the employee benefits and HR industries since 1988, since I got out of college. Different variations along the way, spent some time with, in technology and services, and now here at Lockton, really helping clients on a global basis with their core HR challenges. And by the way, let me not let that go by that, again, it's this old-fashioned thing of growing up in this small town. You mentioned St. Luke's Hospital. Uh, for those who are, who, who are not tuning in, right, that was, uh, was, a, was a great institution in its own right, a Catholic hospital. It was absorbed by uh, what became Berkshire Health Systems. And uh, I remember my father, when I was a little kid, he used to, he, he oh, I got to go to St. Luke's. I got a patient there. And, uh, and then Dartmouth. And then, and then I love that it's prudential. Right. That it was 1988. Where did you go? Prudential. Right. Another great old fashioned organization where you could still pay your dues, climb the ladder, do as you're told, wait for your boss to notice you, wait for the system to take care of you. Right. Uh, You really have this um, very old fashioned success path that led you to what you're doing now. Yeah, I think the institutions, you know, gave and they received, right? So, that you know, there was this positive feedback loop. And I think it's one of the things that we're struggling with these days is, you know, some of those historic institutions, there isn't the, the great amount of trust in those institutions going forward. You know, for some of them, for, for good reason, and uh, we can get into that if you want. But, you know, I think that that is a little bit what's lacking, at least I feel it in, in, in today's world, is that, that institutional trust or security that comes with, with some of those institutions. Yeah, and I, I'm uh, I, I'm very old fashioned in my thinking. I think in a lot of ways I'm very institution centered. One of the things that uh, really touched me was when you brought me to Boston to speak to a group of your colleagues and your uh, clients and customers. Uh, that we started with a moment of silence for the people who were suffering in the war. And I just thought that was beautiful. And I thought it spoke volumes about who you are as a, as a person. And it, it, it really touched me. Well, uh, thank you, Bruce. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that I think is a silver lining for me personally coming out of the pandemic is I, I have been doing a lot of work on myself. And uh, I've tried to kind of up my spiritual game. You know, when you see those things happening to the people, you know, we're seeing that war on Ukraine. It's in Ukraine, but it's really on Ukraine. It's on the people. It just it, it's, you know, crushing anything we can do to, to alleviate that and, and help and promote peace, I think, is uh, is critically important. 
Yeah, I'm with you a thousand percent. And I just I, I, I love what that says about you, because one of the things I, I, I have really enjoyed about reconnecting with you is even though you do not talk about your values and your faith and, and all, uh, you, you don't really talk about it much. It's you don't wear that on your sleeve, but it shines through you. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, uh, I think uh, Stephen Covey talked about, you know, those types of things are really roots of a tree, right? They're there. They're holding the tree up. Uh, but you don't see them. So if they're strong, the tree grows tall and flourishes and yields fruit if it's an apple tree or yields beautiful foliage in the fall and in the Berkshires. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so is that how you got to be 6'5 or whatever? Because you are not a small person. No, I think that's genes and uh, probably hormones in milk. <laughs> and uh, I, haven't, I haven't missed too many meals. So uh and roots, roots. You said it was the roots. You okay, said it. I'll go with the roots. I'll go with the roots. So you still uh, are, are, are a resident of the great Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And and um, uh, and I know you, um, in addition to being involved with your church, you, you told me that um, you're also involved with Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts and, and, and the food pantry. So service is a big part of who you are. You know, giving back, I think, is important. I, I am a registered Girl Scout. So uh, my, my daughters and my wife have been involved for, for many years. And, uh, you know, I, I got quarried and uh, submitted my information. And uh, it's the nice thing about the Girl Scouts. They, they didn't reject me. So, uh, so that's good. But, you know, those organizations uh, do a tremendous amount. That's a lot of Thin Mints and, uh, and Samoas being sold and, you know, cans being collected and things like that textile recycling, but, uh, you know, they did it. Um, and, and so where we, when we reconnected a big part of what you wanted to talk with me about was this, you know, some people talk about the great resignation and, and I thought you were super thoughtful, um, and, and you wanted to zero in on those who are calling it more a great rethink. And, and, and that people are really rethinking their working lives and careers or how they organize their working lives in relation to the rest of their lives. Can you say a little bit about that? What, what's your perspective about that? I, I do think we're in the midst of this great rethink. And I think the pandemic, you know, accelerated that. But uh, speaking of acceleration, let's go, let's go back to before the pandemic. I'm a big fan of Kathy Wood. Kathy Wood is the CEO of an investment company called ARK Invest, and they believe in innovative technologies. I've been following her for a number of years, and she has she runs some ETFs. I've invested with her. And every year she comes out with a, a presentation called Big Ideas. And it's really macro, and it's, it's, it's centered on innovation. And in her big ideas for the last few years, she's been really talking about the impact of innovative platforms on economic activity. And she goes back in time to the 1700s. And at the turn of the 20th century, there were three platforms that really came together and accelerated economic activity. And that was the telephone, the automobile, and electricity. My grandmother grew up in County Kerry, Ireland. She grew up at a, on a farm. They had a door and a window, but they didn't have a chimney. Because if you had a chimney, you paid more in taxes and they simply couldn't afford it. So over in Ireland, Bruce, they burned peat. They burned the ground because there's no there's no wood. They still burn, they cut the peat and they dry the peat and they and they burn it. So imagine growing up in in that world where you literally you had a fire, a very smoky fire, 
you know, the draft was the front door and the windows. And now she, you know, she and my grandparents uh, were thrust into this new century in America where people had telephones and were driving cars and there was electricity, you know, coming into the house. Think about that, you know, just from a disruption and from a blows your mind. Kathy Wood then projects forward and says, today, we have five disruptive innovation platforms that are really driving economic activity. Artificial intelligence, energy storage, robotics, genomic sequencing, and blockchain. And they're all growing at a rapid pace, and they're all now starting to converge. And so that acceleration is, is going faster and faster and faster, right? You know, I think the, <clears throat> the pandemic is a, is a good example. This was a, something that it happened, right? And it spread around the world. And everybody was infected. Nobody was left untouched by this. It was a, you know, it was a global brick to the head moment for the, for the entire world. Like we are all affected by it. This was one of those accidents of history that has been transformational. You know, it's a universally shared trauma. It, it affected, you know, in the work world, it affected the, you know, the boardroom and the C-suite all the way down through all levels of the organization to the, you know, a part-timer or an intern. And every person has a case study of their own. You know, my kids' colleges were disrupted. My daughter's high school was disrupted. Obviously, my business was disrupted. Everybody's was, right? Coming out of this event, this accident of history, as you say, you know, people are, are kind of taking stock of what just happened and what their lives were light. And there's, and there's this underlying acceleration of technology and work is changing. And people are saying, I got to get off the treadmill, <laughs> you know, or I, I want a different treadmill, or I don't want to be on a treadmill anymore. Or I want to go faster on my treadmill. So I think the great resignation is really a symptom of that very natural phenomenon of coming out of a trauma like that. And we've all shared it of saying, we want to do something different. We want to do something better. It's where it's determining, you know, where and how I work, where and how I live, the relationships in our lives, everything is on the table right now. So the great resignation, I believe, is a symptom, not a cause of this great rethink that's going on. You are the, the first one who really started talking to me about that. Of course, I had read articles about that. And of course, it shows up uh, in, in our own data. But you are the one who, who really got me thinking about it differently. And so um, I'm, I'm grateful to you for bringing that to my attention. And I guess what you're, uh, the reason you mentioned Kathy Wood is because we were already at this historic transformation point with the convergence of these five disruptive technologies. Uh, remember in the late 90s when, you know, the there were people who were talking about the convergence of telephone, television, and the internet and computing speed. People were talking about that. And I think a lot of people were rolling their eyes. And yet, look at where we are. So um, uh, I think uh, your drawing attention to the convergence of these disruptive technologies is really important. And I think adding to it this global pandemic, right, we are at a, at a peculiar juncture in history. If you think about, you know, the phones that I'm, you know, that I check obsessively throughout the day, I mean, we, we have all those things in our pockets now. You know, we have a television, we have a phone, we have a camera, we have the internet, we have apps, you know. It's only about 15 years old. And I remember getting, seeing the first iPhone and I was like, why would I want that? Why do I want a camera on my mobile phone? 
now I take pictures all the time, <laughs> you know? So I, I've been thinking about this great rethink and this uh, acceleration and convergence of technology. I, I try to bring it back down to people because people don't think naturally in an exponential way. I mean, Einstein said the greatest power in the universe this is the guy that invented, you know, E equals MC squared and the theory of relativity. His answer, compound interest greatest force in the universe. You know, we think linearly, right? It's it's spring now and soon it'll be summer and then it'll be fall and then winter and then it repeats the cycle. So if I take 30 steps, I'll be down the hall in my office. If I take 30 exponential steps, a doubling every time, I will have gone around the world a couple times. So our human brains are just not wired to think this way. And so you throw us then into the midst of the pandemic and we're coming out of it. And now we're trying to redeploy back into the workforce globally. You know, there's a lot of strain and stress and we're seeing it in our business on, on people, on their physical health, on their mental health, on their well-being. And so we're, we're doing a lot of work with our clients around how do you help people get right and, and be able to deal with some of these challenges? And, and just as we be careful of saying it couldn't get any worse, just as we're coming out of the pandemic and things seem to be on the horizon, here we go. You know, Russia invades Ukraine and perhaps we're on the cusp of, you know, at least another cold war, if not a, you know, an actual hot war. You know, this is the world in which we find ourselves and, and it requires serious, thoughtful people. And luckily you are not just a serious, thoughtful person, but you're a person uh, who is extremely service minded and uh, you bring that into your professional life. And, and uh, to draw a bright line under that, what you're focused on is helping employers, large, complex companies take care of their people. Uh, I mean, in a nutshell, that's what you, that's the business you're in, right? If you make money, the way you make money um, is by helping large complex organizations uh, that employ other people, you help them take care of their people. There's some reasons why they do that. Some of them are compulsory, right? There are certain, you know, regulatory things. The other are the market. I mean, if you don't provide people with with good benefits, you know, they'll they'll find it somewhere else, particularly in today's very disjointed labor market. I think I read yesterday there's five million more jobs available and there are people seeking employment. You know, employers are kind of rethinking the value of benefits is not so much a cost, but, but more like an investment. The corollary that I think about that, you know, I think about what Amazon did. They took delivery and fulfillment, which most organizations would say, well, that's a cost of doing business, right? We got to ship our stuff to our customers and use the post office or FedEx or what have you. And they've taken that and, they, and they've turned it on its head and they've said, yes, it's a cost, but it's also an investment. So if we can get that package to, to Mike today or the next day, would he be willing to pay a little more for that? Yes. And now <clears throat> Amazon Prime, you know, is the their delivery vehicle for video content. And they're, they're at the Academy Awards. You know, it's become such a big driver of their growth and the value in their business. So they've, they've taken something that's a cost and looking at it in a completely different prism. And now it's adding value to their, to their business. So we talk to our clients all the time about you know, think about your benefits, which are costly. I mean, it's the second highest cost in most organizations behind payroll. Can you look at this differently? And we have 
an opportunity due to this accident of history of the pandemic, companies can reinforce their commitment to their people. Yes, we want to keep you healthy and safe. Yes, we want to protect you from harm. But it's really more of a statement about their overall well-being, that companies care about their employees and they're willing to do things above and beyond you know, the norm. And I'll kind of close this out with my own personal history. My father worked for General Electric, and, uh, and in those days, he was they were swimming in PCBs. They used them to clean the machines at, at the power transformer division where he worked. And I don't know if you remember Silver Lake, which was a small lake next to the General Electric plant in Pittsburgh. In the midst of, you know, brutally cold winters in Pittsfield, Silver Lake, there'd be white caps on Silver Lake. You know, it never froze. So, you know, they were, they were nasty, nasty stuff. So I don't know whether it was that or whether it was genetics or whether the fact that he smoked earlier in his, in his life, he developed cancer. Uh, he suffered over, you know, almost 10 years with cancer. But what GE provided to him, they, they couldn't fix his cancer, but they provided him with medical insurance so that it, we didn't go broke. Uh, when he was no longer able to work, they provided him with some disability income so that, you know, the family could could continue to, to exist. I mean, mom went back to work, but they still had two other kids to put through college. And then unfortunately, you know, he passed away and there was a life insurance benefit there. And over the years, he worked for the company and it accrued company stock. And, you know, you said it, Jack Welch, a guy I used to caddy for, becomes CEO, and he takes that stock through the roof. And that provided income for my mother and for all of us. I mean, my college tuition in the last couple of years was paid because GE stock kept rising and splitting and throwing off dividends. So, you know, it's kind of a weird karmic occurrence that I ended up in this business because, you know, that's my why. I saw it firsthand as a kid. I didn't know what was happening. But, you know, organizations that, that provide these benefits really, really help their people. And, and a lot of times it, you can look at, you know, those moments and say, well, yes, they're, they're helping them through the, the tough, those tough human times. But it's also in those moments that matter. It's also the moments that you forget about. Like my son graduated from college. He works for a company that provide benefits. He can go skiing. And if he breaks his leg, they're going to pay for the, the broken leg or the, if he's got to be away from work. So in a weird way, the universe brought me into this business uh, by dint of my own experience. And that, that's really why I get up in the morning and try to try to do the things I do. Yeah, well, you said you don't believe in coincidence and uh, karma is weird, but it's it's that's the universe uh, going full circle. And But I'm glad you're giving personal voice to to the impact of benefits. I mean, most people, if they have benefits or if they grew up in a family that had had benefits, maybe they have their own story. And and to your point, of course, employers are in business. They're trying to uh, move their bottom line. But these same employers who are always saying, you know, people are a number one asset. And then they're saying, oh, we can't get people to come work for us. And then they're saying, how do we get people to work harder? And then they're saying, how do we get people to stay and not leave? Well, okay, you know, step one, how about be flexible and generous? Generous and flexible. This is America. People are, I mean, I realize you're a global company, um, but, but, but people don't, don't work 
for kicks. Uh, people work because they have to. They have to take care of themselves and their families. And I think when employers don't realize, hey, this is how people take care of themselves and their families. This is how people make a contribution to a mission. This is how people make a contribution to something larger. It's how people feel productive. Yes, but this is how they take care of themselves and their families. And one of the things I love about your approach is it's not just about ROI, uh, but it's about ROI to the beneficiaries, that it's about helping companies take care of their people. And uh, I think there are a lot of producers out there who maybe say that, uh, but it seems pretty vivid that, that you're authentic about that. My Irish uh, you know, genetics doesn't allow me to accept compliments very easily, but thank you. I'll, I'll try to rise above that. And, uh, and thank you for, for your, gracious, your gracious words. I can prove out an ROI. I can help with a cost-benefit analysis. I can make the numbers work. But it's really benefits. It's really a statement of a company's culture. And culture is so important now. I dismissed the great resignation earlier as a symptom, but it's a real symptom. I mean, it's a problem. Organizations are really concerned about their people, about keeping their current employees, and it's super hard to, to fill positions. It's taking longer. You know, it, it's tough out there for, for organizations. So they have to use every tool available at, the, at their disposal and not just throw money at people, but, but think about how to purposely approach their rewards in a, in a way that's going to, yes, you know, hit the help the bottom line but you know boost productivity and be be the employer that you want to be yeah and 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 look you know when um people uh leave an organization uh the organization loses their training and development investment in that person uh they leave a gap on a team they leave work undone sometimes details slip through the cracks sometimes the morale of the rest of the team falters the rest of the team might end up being overworked market opportunities are left on the table so there's a whole bunch of hard business reasons to provide sufficiently generous benefits that people don't want to leave but it, it it's also the case that you know to the extent there's any old fashioned uh, values left uh, in, in, in employers, uh, they should want people to want to be part of their organization. And one of the ways to do that is to treat people like they really are the most important asset. A lot of organizations say that, right? Our, our people are our most important asset. Now we're going to ship jobs offshore <laughs> or, or something like that. You know, it's, you have to act in those, those kind of corporate guidelines uh, when you're making those decisions, those roots that we were talking about earlier. Most organizations that, that I talk to are doing that. Many of the people here in, in Massachusetts and throughout the country really do have their people's best interest uh, at heart. And that, that brick to the head that was COVID-19, you know, I think kind of shook everybody up and said, hey, wait a minute, you know, we need to rethink our approach to, uh, to how we're doing things. You know, most organizations ask their employees to share in the cost. Uh, we've seen companies go so far as to remove that cost entirely, you know, to say we really care about your health and well-being and, sa and safety. And, and so we're going to pick up those costs. Uh, uh, I think they're, they're in a fortunate financial position that they're able to do that. Others are looking to add more flexibility into their benefit programs so that employees can can use dollars the way they want to, like 
emerging trend is what's called lifestyle accounts, where employers can put money into into an account. It's still taxable. It's not. There's no tax advantage, but you know they can use it for you know a gym membership. Then all of a sudden, here comes COVID, and you can't go to the gym. But now they can maybe buy some equipment at home, put it in a Peloton, or buy a you know a mindfulness app, or they could use it for mental mental health uh, reasons, you know, and visits and things like that. I mean, mental health still has such a huge stigma attached to it, and it's super unfortunate that that we still think this way because I believe that we need to be aligned. Uh, in order to fulfill whatever life has in store for us, we need to be we need to be aligned physically, mentally, and spiritually, and maximize that. And so, you know, during the pandemic, I made some decisions around my physical and my mental and my spiritual health, and and those things are paying dividends. You know, organizations through these lifestyle accounts can give people the money and direct them into those types of resources and, and allow the employees to, to spend that money as, as you will. So benefits are becoming less rigid, much more flexible. So, so the idea is flexible, customizable benefits. Uh, so you mentioned a mindfulness app. You mentioned buying a Peloton. Uh, these are things that, that uh, maybe people wouldn't have thought of previously as part of a benefits package. And, you know, there was a time when you had to be a pretty groovy company. And just for the record, I'm not particularly groovy, but you had to be a pretty groovy company to be funding somebody's wellness in their Peloton. Um, and, and now that's more, it sounds like that's becoming more standard. It is. Well, a lot of organizations, a lot of companies that we deal with are pretty groovy. And uh, they, they were doing things like bringing on-site vision visits or... Uh, they were bringing on-site dental care or on-site child care. Well, here comes the pandemic, and now we're not on-site anymore. So now what are we going to do? And I think another benefit, organizations are also rethinking benefits from a time-off perspective. How much vacation should we should we be providing? States and localities are, are passing laws about leave provisions and things like that. So organizations are taking a step back and saying, hey, wait a minute, Can, should we be doing this differently? At the same time, because of these effects, people are, people are hurting and they're taking, they're taking leaves. And so HR departments are just flooded with these requests to take the, the time off either that they've earned or that they're owed by dint of a law or a, re, or a regulation. I, I tip my hat to my customers that are in human resources because they've been just they've been at the center of this hurricane for you know over two years now. It, it was a human, it was a virus that infected humans and affected humans, and so human resources, your people business, had to be involved in every decision that you were making because it, it dramatically affected people on multiple multiple different levels. And and uh, so you where you enter the picture is uh, in helping companies improve the, the benefits, the per se benefits that they offer to, to their, their employees. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, we, we help thousands of employers in hundreds of different industries, Bruce, but, but I don't know if I can help you. <laughs> so what we do is we come in and we, we sit down with you and we try to figure out what's going on in your business, right? And then we have a discussion about, okay, what strategies would you like to deploy? And then we map out a multi-year strategy. And we get 
we get people from different parts of the organization to fill out a survey because the CFO probably has some different ideas about talent management and employee benefits than does the VP of HR or a line worker. So, so we try to put those groups together and then we map out a strategy and then we execute against that strategy for years. We also use data. You know, Amazon, when they created Amazon Prime, did it because they had, they had all this data and they said we could make value out of it. Benefits and human resources and payroll throws off a tremendous amount of data that we can use to, to help put together programs to make people healthier or more mindful or, or well. We can also deploy those tools into the hands of the employees themselves through you know, mobile and other navigation uh, tools and things. So it's a, you know, it's a really exciting time to be able to, to deliver those back to our clients. So, so instead of the old-fashioned way where you had to call up a benefits manager and ask for an adjustment, they can go on their handheld supercomputer and make adjustments themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that's uh, – and, and, and nowadays, if an employer doesn't do that, they seem like they're from back in the 70s where we grew up. Yeah, it'll give you the big uh, three-ring binder with all the paperwork in it and you know, fill this out. That doesn't really fly with uh, particularly the – the Gen Zs that are coming, I mean, they've never really had to fill out a form, you know, <laughs> you know, they, they haven't had to process paperwork, everything, everything's online. And that's their, that's their base expectation is that they're going to be able to, to do this and function this way across their employment spectrum. I hope this isn't making us sound as old as it's making me feel. <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm, I'm halfway through a great book I'd recommend other than Debbie's books, of course, uh, you know, there's always room for another good book. It's by Arthur Brooks. He's the professor at Harvard. He just came out with a book from strength to strength. And he talks about kind of where we are right now, Bruce, which is there are, your brain functions differently as, as we age. And that as much as we sh were a striver for success earlier in our lives, that we have to, th you know, our brain is going to work and think differently in the in the second chapter of life. And it's kind of like the sooner we get into that mode, the happier we're going to be and the more, the more meaningful our lives could be and the more we're going to be able to give back to other people. So a little bit of a plug, even though it's hard for a Dartmouth guy to, to plug something at Harvard, uh, I, will, uh, I will say that Arthur Brooks's uh, book, and I'm actually starting his class on ha managing happiness here soon. I'd give thumbs up to that. Well, well, I'm sure that'll uh, go into the show notes. And uh, so uh, uh, Arthur Brooks, From Strength to Strength. I'm going to say Mike Smith, From Strength to Strength. You, you, uh, you are an inspiration, and uh, I'm, I'm just so pleased to have you on. Uh, Mike Smith, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Thanks, Bruce. Everyone loves a good summer vacation, and the podcast is no exception. We will be taking a little hiatus until September. Please use this opportunity to catch up on old episodes you might have missed or re-listen to one of your favorites. We'll see you in the fall. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at GoTo underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. 
Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.